Nature Solutionaries is a podcast about conservationists who do amazing things for nature and bring inspiration into our lives. Today I'm talking to Hanna Raza, a Kurdish biologist who has been trying to protect the endangered Persian leopard in Kurdistan region of Iraq since 2011. Along with her team, she has documented leopard's habitat written proposals and is now aiming to create a protected area in Zagros Mountains of Kurdistan. Even though Hanna has to overcome many obstacles, including episodic violence, minimal funding and public unawareness of environmental issues, she is hopeful about the future of leopards. I would like to start um, with one question that really interests me. Uh, what is it like to protect a species that you have never seen with your own eyes? Yeah, uh, it doesn't require seeing a leopard with your own eyes to fall in love with uh, them or realize their importance because it's an endangered and elusive species. Uh, leopards are charismatic animals. Uh, they're powerful and resilient and they're not picky about their food. Uh, they're adaptable to a variety of habitats and they are morphologically stunning and beautiful. Uh, they roam quietly and therefore often depicted as ghosts. And simply looking at them from the lens of a camera reveals many of its characteristics. Uh, for now, real the reality is that uh, they're so rare we can't easily see them with our own eyes. But through our work and camera trapping, we may preserve them for the next generations to see and enjoy. And how many times did you see a leopard through the camera trap? Through the camera traps, we've been able to see or identify six individuals so far. Wonderful. And um, why did you choose to protect Persian leopard and not uh, a different species that lives in your region? Uh, because leopards are flagship species, uh, meaning that they can be used as ambassadors for the protection of uh, many important species and habitats. Uh, protecting the leopard habitat will help safeguard other threatened species as well, such as the um, bizarre goat, which is their main prey species, hyenas, the spurthite turtoise, threatened birds, newts and salamanders, and a range of uh, other threatened uh, species, especially uh, endemic flora as well. Leopards uh, have an important role in maintaining the health of the ecosystem through uh, putting other species numbers at check uh, by predating on herbivores. Uh, they may otherwise increase in numbers rapidly and cause problems such as spreading disease, reducing vegetation cover and causing traffic accidents among many other human wildlife conflicts they might cause. Uh, an example of a problematic species that could be directly linked to the reduction or the reduced numbers of leopards in our region is the wild boar. Uh, Boars uh, raid farms and destroy farmlands and other unfortunate incidents like recently a wild boar ran through a group of picnickers uh, who shot and killed the boar. So uh, by having more leopards uh, to prey on wild boars, uh, we could have less human boar conflict. Of course, this could also mean that more leopards could result in more human leopard conflict as well. Uh, but these conflicts could be avoided through proper management. Uh, but first, we need to establish protected areas in order to be able to manage species numbers properly. So as you mentioned in the beginning, so far you have seen uh, six leopards through a camera lens, but the exact number is unknown. Um, how many um, 
leopards do you think live in the area which where you work yeah uh, well without scientific data and a well designed population study it's not easy to tell exactly how many leopards uh, um, are there and considering the vastness of the Zagros mountains, we may not be able to assess their population for the Zagros range as a whole, but uh, based on my experience and the data I have collected for the Kurdistan region of Iraq, uh, so far the leopard's population might be between uh, a range between 20 to 25 individuals, more or less. And how many leopards are necessary for the population to survive or even thrive? Uh, well, the male to female ratio plays a significant role in the viability of a population, uh, but a self-sustaining population needs to have at least 50 leopard individuals. And depending on the season, uh, the home range of a leopard could range between 25 to 30 square kilometers. Um, however, because the leopard's habitat is very patchy and disconnected, Uh, the size of the land may not pay, uh, play a um, vital role as much as habitat connectivity to ensure the survival of a population. You said that um, you estimate uh, there to be about 25 leopards in your area, but at the same time you said that uh, a viable population should have at least 50 individuals. So what does it mean for the leopards in your area? Will they survive or is it very bad? Uh, yeah, well, because leopards naturally have, uh, they're very adaptive. So, um, you know, throughout these many histories of war within Iraq, they managed to survive, but in very small numbers. So, uh, of course, if there are no intervention has been uh, made towards increasing their numbers, then uh, most definitely they would go extinct in the country. In 2016, um, it was listed as endangered on the IUCN Red List, as there are only about 900 to uh, 1,300 um, individuals living in the wilderness, uh, primarily in uh, the Caucasus, southern Russia, Iran, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Turkey, and um, Iraq. Uh, so you said that um, basically there are these... Uh, The leopards are uh, moving from one country to another and in different countries they face different threats. So what are the main threats that uh, Persian leopards face in Iraq? Yeah, uh, the main threats are uh, habitat deg degradation uh, by livestock grazing and logging of forests. Uh, between 1999 and 2018, uh, almost half of the Kyrgyzstan region's forest uh, were lost as more than 890,000 hectares of land were destroyed, mostly by logging of forests. Uh, another threat is poaching of the leopards themselves and their prey species. Uh, between 2001 and 2014, at least, uh, nine leopards were killed uh, by local people in this region along the um, southern Turkey and uh, north of Iraq, where the Kurdistan region is based. So. In Iran, uh, which is a stronghold of the Persian leopards, um, it, in between 2000 and 2015, it was estimated that 147 leopards were killed uh, in Iran. So that's a major threat for facing the leopards. And generally, the scattered nature of uh, remnant leopard population is also making it difficult for the leopard to find, um, you know, uh, females and to mate.
So do you think that a growing population is a problem because it's uh, creating pressure on, on nature? Or what's, what's, the, what's the real cause? Most certainly, because Kurdistan region uh, um, saw a bloom in uh, uh, increase in the population. And uh, as a whole, uh, there is a lot of impact uh, by uh, the war. Uh, as a result, many uh, uh, people were displaced from the southern cities of Iraq uh, who moved to the Kurdistan region because it was, uh, in terms of security, was safe for the people. So uh, not just the local uh, Kurdish people are uh, living in the Kurdistan region, but also thousands and thousands of um, and displaced people are also living here, either in the camps or those who chose to move to the city and live here. And, you know, find a career and not go back to the cities, but most of them. So that has put a lot of pressure on the environment, on nature, and also on the government, uh, because um, the, the government is facing a lot of economic problems as well. Mm -hmm. And who is uh, logging the forest? Uh, is it people who can find other jobs to do because of the war or conflict? Or, or why, why exactly? Do they cut the forests? Uh, yeah, there, there, there are many reasons behind it. Mostly, it's because the people are uh, unaware, uh, and they mainly seem very careless about uh, nature conservation. So they don't re uh, realize the consequence of their uh, actions. And uh, if they, um, you know, they find a tree that th that is standing in the way of their land to create it for. Uh, farming, they don't mind doing it. They don't realize the consequences of how much it took for a, a tree to, to um, you know, age, and um, you know, produce oxygen and be important as well. So, that that's one of the main reasons. But the other reason that is a driver for logging is uh, the price of fuel uh, was high for the local people to uh, afford. Uh, and due to the economic crisis that the people went through, the government uh, was not able to uh, pay salaries to uh, its employees uh, six months. Um, so, um, you know, it was it, it was difficult for the people to afford um, fuel price. Um, so, uh, what they did is log the the, the forest to use it as fuel. Uh, that's mainly the villagers. So that's one of the also the drivers. But another main major driver is uh, the government itself. Uh, there are a lot of uh, construction companies who have deals with the, the politicians and the government itself uh, who don't mind cutting down thousands of trees just for the sake of um, a construction project. So these are one of the major reasons for logging the forest as well. And can the leopards be still protected if if the forests are disappearing at uh, such a rate? Uh, unfortunately not, because uh, the main habitat uh, for the leopards in Iraq is the forest uh, areas, and ma mainly the mountain forest region. So, so what can be done? 
Well, for now, what we need to be done is for the government to establish protected areas in order to be able to implement those laws that we have within the protected areas, because without protected areas, it's not easy to implement those laws um, upon the general people, especially uh, because the people don't know about the importance of uh, them. you know, trees or animals. So with protected areas, you can have an example to show the local people what could nature protection could bring to them and their livelihoods. So it is important to have those protected areas established in order for us to understand what we have, to understand what needs to be done to protect nature, uh, and basically just to have information about species numbers, because without knowing the species numbers, we don't know in what fast range are we losing them. Mm-hmm. In 2016, you started collaborating with the Persian Wildlife Heritage Foundation on creating a peace park between Iraq and Iran. And in 2018, the Iranian government imprisoned 13 people affiliated with that organization, accusing them of spying uh, with their wildlife camera traps. And the director of the organization uh, unfortunately died or was killed uh, in the prison. No one knows. So um, what's the situation with the Peace Park uh, like? I mean, this protected area that you wanted to create. Um, do you think that you will ever come back? Yeah. The Transboundary Project site uh, included three areas from the Kurdistan region, uh, Darbandikhan, Karadar, and Hauraman, uh, and two already established protected areas from Iran. Shahu Kosalan and Bozin Marakhil protected areas. Uh, after our uh, Persian Wildlife Heritage Foundation colleagues were um, incarcerated, we had to briefly move our attention away from the transboundary work and agreed to detach or separate Qaradar region uh, from this transboundary project uh, and created as an independent nature reserve. with the goal of incorporating it as a standalone protected area linked to the transboundary area once the transboundary project is uh, re, um, reinstated. Uh, we identified a habitat corridor as part of this project that would link these areas and allow lepers to freely pass through them, but we can't do any further research on this until the project resumes, and that's uh, not clear at the moment. So. Um Speaking of uh, Persian leopards in Iran, uh, they are not being protected since since these people are in the prison? Correct. More or less, uh, camera trapping projects have been stopped in Iran uh, because of suspicion of spying through camera traps uh, that the government um, states. Um, They are uh, very brief, periodic camera traps with strict supervision from the uh, government. Um, other than that, um, there is not monitoring projects and all monitoring projects for Persian Leopard and Cheetah and other projects have uh, stopped. And in Iraq, the government doesn't mind that you're using uh, camera traps for uh, tracking leopards? Uh, there isn't. There's something about the mindset of the politicians in this region is that you never know uh, what to expect from them, especially because it's such a fragile and also very complicated 
system of uh, politics. Uh, in, in Iraq, we have two governments because the Kurdistan regional government is a, an independent semi-autonomous region from Iraq. So basically we are independent, but also not, in, not uh, dependent. Uh, for a lot of the, the laws and regulations and also um, financing, we return to the Iraqi government. Uh, so for a lot of the decisions to be made, we need to go through the Kurdish government and the Iraqi government sometimes. Or sometimes we're completely dependent and the politicians refuse to go back to to Iraq and and all of this creates a lot of hassle and problems for conservationists because for, um, first of all the Kurdish Iraqi uh, relationships when they are uh, under scrutiny and when they are not in, at their best uh, the Iraqi government um, looks at any other Kurdish um, people as the politicians and the same for the, the, the Kurdish government as well so these uh, problems um, you know these are very very complicated issues for for us who have collaborations with Iraqi with Iranian with Czech with other um, uh, experts um, outside the country uh, and any collaborations that we might uh, have with any other countries that could be a suspect by this uh, government, we will be entangled with it. And, and this is what has happened with us because we collaborated with the Persian Wildlife Foundation, then we are seen as um, a part of uh, this um, issue and uh, I personally would not feel safe traveling to Iran because of that. So uh, one major issue is also that Iran politically has a very strong hand uh, within Iraq. So you never feel you don't you never know what to expect um, from politicians because the the complication and the entanglement of the political system is so much and so complicated that. Um, you don't feel safe, really. I remember um, that last time uh, that we were talking um, and doing the pre-interview, you said um, that as much as I hate to stay here, uh, I want to stay there because you want to protect your country, uh, your country's wildlife. So that was very beautiful. It's um, it's very difficult, but but you just want to stay there and work uh, to protect your nature, right? True, and I can say the same for my colleagues from Iran, that these people loved above everything their land, their country, and the work that they did was purely based on love and the recognition that the land is facing a threat, biodiversity is, is facing a threat within their country. And because they they were the um, the people who realized that and they, they dedicated their entire life working in the field of biodiversity conservation, um, now they're facing prison time uh, between four to 10 years. And these people, even inside the, the prison, are the people who are making changes within the prison. They they have managed to uh, establish connection with people to educate them about the importance of biodiversity, um, you know, um, establishing, um, having library, helping the, the inmates to, to read. And these are people that you know that uh, they care about the, the education and the, the progress of their country and they would never 
do something like uh, spying on their own country. So uh, these are all, I think, uh, a panicking um, government would only do such a thing because there is no evidence uh, to prove that these people spied on their lands. Um, so for, for me as well, it's the same thing. And one of the main reasons for a lot of, not everyone, but a lot of conservationists uh, who continue to dedicate their lives for nature conservation, as it, it comes from their heart and passion. Because it, if it didn't come from their life and passion, it's such a complicated task, such a difficult task that you couldn't survive doing it and such a low pay rate mm. it's um it's not easy to continue um so i think you have to have passion and love for your land to to be able to accomplish anything especially in these uh regions with so much uh, um political issues i think that what's really important is to see <clears throat> some uh, little successes um along the way because if, if you have to face all these obstacles and challenges it's really rewarding if you see um, success and I think that one success is coming um, you're working um, on creating this protected area um, for leopards uh, and in 2019 your organization or the organization you work for Nature Iraq uh, received funding from IUCN Netherlands uh, land acquisition fund and bought um, a big area, uh, 2,200 hectares in uh, Kopi Karadakh um, in order to create this nature reserve. Um, so, so that's great. And um, I wanted to ask you, um, uh, has the, like, what's the state of this nature reserve now? Um, has the federal government approved the reserve or um, its status as a national park or what, what's exactly happening there right now? Yeah, the the project is still ongoing uh, due to COVID-19. Uh, we delayed a lot of activities, but uh, once it, uh, we resume uh, our activities and once the project is uh, near completion uh, from its status by the Kurdish region, then we will send it for approval to the federal government as well. And I don't think we will have any problems uh, with the federal government approving the area because according to uh, the 2020 IG targets, uh, Iraq was supposed to reach um, um, or establish at least 10 protected areas and they couldn't um, reach that target. Uh, right now, with the help of ICN regional, um, with the ICN ROA, um, regional office of West Asia, they are now working on establishing two more protected areas in the southern cities of Iraq. Uh, but um, in the Kurdistan and the northern regions, uh, there isn't a lot of support. So um, we are actually helping the Iraqi government to reach those targets. So they should be happy that we're doing that and they, they, there shouldn't be a problem approving it. All right, so, so at, at this moment, um, the Kurdistan um, government approved the protected status of this area, and now you're waiting for the uh, federal government to approve it. And when when do you expect this to happen? Uh, hopefully in the next year or two. Uh, nothing is really clear with COVID-19. I mean, uh, Kurdistan, 
we thought Kurdistan was doing fine uh, due to herd immunity, but uh, recently we are having another uh, phase of uh, cases of COVID and a lot of deaths as well. So right now movement has been restricted once again. Uh, so it's not easy to um, arrange a lot of those meetings because a lot of the decisions need to be uh, through uh, meetings. Um, and it's not easy to actually have those uh, stakeholder meetings through Zoom. A lot of people don't have access to uh, um, computers and internet, uh, but uh, once things go back to normal, hopefully through those meetings, we'll be able to um, take the you know protected area forward. And will this be a protected area or a national park? Uh, this is a nature reserve. Once the park is established, what will happen? Uh, who will patrol the area to prevent illegal hunting? And where will the funding come from? The Nature Reserves Managing Board will meet after the Nature Reserves official approval to agree on the next steps. But the key aim is to create the Nature Reserve direct directory uh, within the Nature Reserve and enforce the management plan developed for the Nature Reserve after the Managing Board uh, has discussed and completed the final draft of the management plan. Um, so, so our next step after um, COVID and everything is to um, uh, create a committee or a Managing Board uh, uh, um, committee uh, to oversee all the ongoing activities of the Nature Reserve. And this manage managing board needs to uh, review the management plan and uh, decide to form the management directory uh, for the for the protected area for the nature reserve. Uh, the uh, forest police, um, which is a division of the Ministry of Interior, uh, is in charge of securing forest and you know uh, preventing logging and deforestation and poaching. Uh, so forest police are in, in Kurdistan region are like rangers. Uh, their main task is to control uh, poaching and logging in the forest. And uh, for the time being, we actually mainly depend on foreign support and there is no uh, local internal financial support for the nature reserve. Mm -hmm. And as for the forest police, I read in one of the articles about your work that, and you also mentioned that previously, that government officials uh, didn't get funding for about six months, so that will also impede their work. Correct. Right? If if they don't get money, they won't go to the forest and they won't be able to check if anyone's hunting. True. Uh, well, because the forest police is a division of the Ministry of Interior and they're um, seen as part of the military, the government made sure that the military still got their uh, salary, unlike other employees, because they were saw, seen as uh, important for, um, um, you know, the war against ISIS. Um, so the forest police didn't face a lot of issues in terms of uh, pay, payroll and getting their salaries. But the problem for them was the government couldn't support them through providing fuel for their 
cars to patrol the area. Uh, they couldn't afford uh, maintenance for their cars. They couldn't help them with, you know, basic needs within their uh, stations because these people spend uh, at least 15 days in a row in the mountains uh, in their station. So the government couldn't afford providing a lot of like heating system, changing tires for their cars and these things. So Nature Iraq uh, has been trying to support them as much as we could through changing tires for their cars, uh, providing fuel, um, to give them even stationary. Like you can imagine they couldn't afford buying uh, paper for their printers and we were able to provide these things and provided a um, cooling system for, for the main station. Uh, so, yeah, you can imagine that um, they, they're not uh, supported by the local government in, in these areas and it could be frustrating for the forest police as well, especially in, in the remote areas. So one of your... Uh tasks uh, is also uh, to communicate with this forest police and be in touch with them and as you said you were also helping them so um, what other things do you do at your work it, it seems really diverse can you can you describe what your normal day working day looks like what what sorts of things you do well uh, my day ranges from different tasks uh, um, from site visits to check on the progress of our uh, nature reserve in Karadakh and our ecolodge project because we established an ecolodge to enhance uh, ecotourism in that area for the nature reserve uh, or to engaging with journalists and getting them out to film in nature to field surveys and data collection which also varies depending on the a form of data we're gathering. For example, if we're doing an interview survey, we go to the villages and, uh, and near our research site uh, with a questionnaire and speak to the people to see what they know. Uh, but if we're doing camera trapping, we get up early in the morning, particularly in the summer, uh, leave at 3 a.m. Uh, to get to our destination. We then climb up to the desired location because uh, Uh, most of our study site is mountainous, uh, so um, uh, we set the camera trap when we get to our uh, station. Uh, and depending on the steepness and the complexity of our hike, we set a few cameras uh, before repeating the process the next day. Uh, depending on the size of the area, it takes between t 10 to 30 days to deploy all camera traps. Uh, at the study site. Uh, we sometimes leave the cameras for three months uh, and then retrieve them. I tend to leave them for three months because, uh, especially if I'm looking for leopards and the prey species, because they're so rare, uh, you can't just uh, get a picture easily within, within 10 days or 15 days or a month even. So the more you leave the camera, the more possibility of... Uh, The, the leopard passing through the, the camera. And does the camera only take a picture when something moves uh, in front of it or uh, gradually? Yeah, these are motion triggered, motion triggered camera traps. So what, what do you most see on the camera? Wild boars and then all of a sudden a leopard? The majority, actually the, the most common species, the red, the red fox and uh, wild boars. And 
sometimes jackals uh, jackals appear less than foxes, but foxes are very like the most common uh, uh, species that's not very shy of the camera trap. But we also uh, in our study area we uh, have um, a good number, a good population of. Uh, bizarre goats, wild goat, which are the main prey species for the leopard, which is one of the reasons why we have the leopard there because it's their uh, favorite food. Uh, so this is actually how I f rediscovered the Persian leopard in the beginning because once I remembered, I read a paper that said, I think it was a book that said uh, to if you find bizarre goats in a study area, then there's a great chance you also see a leopard there. So when I saw um, wild goats in good numbers in Karadakh, uh, I always knew that there must be a leopard there as well. And this is why I actually talked to the forest police to take me to areas that they um, think it's used by large animals. This is how we actually rediscovered the Persian leopard. Oh, so uh, it was based on this book. Right. It was based on that. I can't really remember what book it was, but it was based on that information that said uh, whenever there is a wild goat, there's a great chance you can see leopards as well. I see. And so then you, you put the traps and you suddenly, after some time, obviously, you found the leopard. Yes. Uh, I've been talking to locals since I started work with Nature Iraq in 2009. And... Uh, of all those interview surveys that I did with the locals, uh, the only answer I got for have you seen leopards is that my great-grandfathers or my grandfathers have seen it in the early 80s, uh, mid-80s, um, up to the end of 80s. And then uh, during the World War, uh, sorry, during the um, Iran-Iraq War, uh, there was a lot of destruction happening in Kurdistan because we were sandwiched in between the, the conflicts and a lot of the fights uh, happened in our region. So a lot of the bombardment also uh, during the fight um, of the uh, the regime against the Kurdish uh, re uh, revolutionary guards, uh, revolutionaries were uh, also happening in this area as well. So that led to a lot of forests to be destroyed and a lot of the species also to either flee the country uh, and um, or seeking uh, safer uh, habitats uh, or just to go extinct and uh, die either through uh, the, the burning you know fires forest fires or uh, direct um, killing and also because the locals uh, were in such dire economic situation, financial situation, they uh, killed a lot of uh, animals that they could use as a source of food. So these were the major reasons that led a lot of species into, uh, you know, extinction and leopards among them. And um, so you said that these people told you that it was their grandfathers or great grandfathers who saw them. So, so uh, the locals haven't seen a leopard with their own eyes and um, when you go and talk to them uh, do they want the leopards come back what, what's their uh, approach to leopards yeah uh, well uh, in 2018 we uh, started an interview survey uh, for the Persian leopard uh, excuse me um, occupancy modeling 
We use occupancy modeling to estimate important size for the leopard and its prey species based on interview surveys with the locals. And through that questionnaire, we ask the question, uh, do you like the leopard? Or do you like to see leopards in more numbers? And the, the I mean, surprisingly, most people, most of the interviewees um, liked to see leopards and liked to have leopards uh, in their area. Um, they thought that it's a beautiful animal. All of them were just mesmerized, fascinated by how powerful and and charismatic it is. That I've been uh, told many stories by the locals of people's encounters with lepers led them to getting sick for months in bed because of the fear they felt from the leopards. So uh, I got these these. Um, um, impression from the people that uh, they are supporting leopards uh, and also uh, they don't see it as a threat especially farmers and uh, especially uh, herders um, livestock raisers uh, didn't see the leopard as a threat as much as the wolf uh, because they they know that they they say that wolves are greedy and they uh, just destroy their li livestock and kill it without eating one but if the leopard gets hungry, it only uh, kills one animal. And mostly a lot of the leopard's kills uh, is on uh, prey or, or on livestock that are sick or uh, not um, healthy. And um, this is what they hunt. They don't just go into the um, livestock and kill everything. And do, for example, in Iran, there is a much bigger population of leopards. So uh, do the locals have the same experience, as you say, that uh, when they live in a vicinity of leopards, leopards don't attack humans and they don't attack healthy livestock, but they mm. only take out the sick livestock or they only eat um, uh, wild boars or uh, wild um, animals? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, naturally, in areas where there is more leopard, there is more leopard, uh, human leopard conflict. Uh, and the people tend to um, change their opinion once they see their livestock killed and losing money as a result. Uh, so I think that once we have more leopards, then we, we expect to have those conflicts as well. And some people might change their their mind about the the leopard and probably the reason why people prefer um, approve leopard at the moment is is because they're so rare that they can't even encounter them the in iran uh, the situation could be the same. Uh, I mean, the land of Iran is so big, you can't make the comparison. Uh, and, and in those areas that leopards are found in the east and west and the central central Iran, uh, their numbers are more within uh, protected areas more than in uh, non-protected areas. So uh, that gives an idea that uh, Persian leopards still can't survive uh, in areas that are not protected and outside protected areas they may not survive. They may leave protected areas every now and then uh, and then that's probably when the, the, the human um, wildlife conflict happens. And do leopards attack humans ever? Uh, there are records of uh, attacks in India uh, especially because leopards tend to 
live uh, um, close to the provinces and the cities in India, uh, there is a chance that um, if more leopards live in around people, there could be attacks. But they're not man-eaters like tigers are known for, for example. And leopards don't have the characteristic to attack people uh, until they feel threatened and people start uh, feeling fear and starting to make a move that, that the leopard um, sees it as a threat uh, for them to attack. Otherwise, I have had actually uh, stories uh, told by the locals that um, the, they have... Uh, passed by the leopard in very close uh, distances without the leopard actually making a move. It just looked at them because the leopard knew that there was no attack. It didn't even move. Uh, so it's not like an, an uh, irrational animal to just attack any people. But just like any other animal, this is their nature. Uh, you know, survival instinct. If they feel fear, then they attack. Sure. And um, if leopards are left alone in the nature, I mean, if you create these uh, nature reserves and let the leopards live there, do you think that uh, and roam freely to other countries? So do you think that they, they, their population will um, naturally increase um, in a, in a quickly or uh, have you also considered an option of reintroducing um, some animals uh, into this nature reserve? Mm. Uh, well, reintroduction is uh, uh, an important part of conservation, but you need to uh, understand very well why you are doing an, a reintroduction project, because first of all, it's a very expensive project. Uh, and it also takes a, um, a lot of research and scientific data to uh, answer your uh, questions. Uh, but uh, mainly, especially when it happened in Russia, when they reintroduced uh, three leopards, uh, that was because it got extinct in their country. So when a species is deemed extinct in a country, then after a proper research, uh, a decision can be made to... Uh, reintroduce the animal back into the wild. Uh, but in our case, we know leopards still exist um, exist in the Kyrgyzstan region of Iraq, so no need for that reintroduction as we know it. Uh, but if there are any attempts to increase their numbers by reintroduction interventions, uh, it's not desirable to carry out those uh, projects without prior scientific study and specially awareness of the entire population of the Kurdistan region because the people are really not aware of the importance of nature conservation, let alone increasing a predator uh, that people fear, such as the leopard. Um, speaking of the lack of awareness of uh, environmental issues, um, in Iraq, um, what do you think can be done about this? I mean, um, how do you want to um, make the people realize that protecting their nature is so important when they have so many other things to worry about, for example, their own safety? Yeah. Uh, one of the major uh, awareness uh, issues in our day is that a lot of conservationists don't make relationship with the people, but they hate the people just for their uh, 
bad actions toward nature. And so uh, there would be a disconnection and there, there would be no conversation between conservationists and the locals. In my opinion, it's very important to find a middle ground to um, listen to the locals, listen to their issues, and then find other solutions together and find middle grounds for both for the benefit of nature conservation and the livelihood of the people as well. So talking to them um, is really important, but also uh, raising uh, awareness through uh, media, through TV, uh, through the main, uh, you know, the Facebook and social media pages that people nowadays use a lot is also very important. So uh, awareness raising and education is a big part of conservation as well, and we can't uh, ignore and uh, any of them. Uh, and awareness, because it's, it's the reason why it's important is that um, conservation decisions can be can change and the mindset of the people can also change with issues, with livelihood issues coming up. When there is no uh, salaries for people, then their lifestyle and standards uh, and their wishes and desires changes. They don't care about animals anymore. They care about, uh, you know, um, making ends meet and having food on their table. Uh, so if you go to people who are starving and say that we, you have to, you shouldn't kill any animals and so and so, uh, then they would get this um, idea that okay we can't work together and you know I hate you, you hate me and that's it that ends there. Uh, but if you go and talk to them uh, and explain the importance of nature conservation or the importance of establishing a protected area. Uh, and what that brings to the livelihood of the people and actually working towards that. You know, the conservationists need to think about, constantly think about ideas to involve the local uh, people's livelihoods and uh, create jobs, um, you know, establish um, projects that will bring income to the people. These are what the local people, what makes the local people protect nature. You can't just uh, actually tell them this is a scientific paper and this is what science says because they don't care. So science is not uh, important for the local people. It's what good brings to them and what prosperity and what uh, comfort brings to them uh, is w what's important to them. And have you seen uh, any changes in attitudes towards nature among these people? Uh, compared to when I started in 2009, for sure, um, the, the mindset has changed, uh, especially uh, on social media. There's a lot of uh, movements, pages about um, nature conservation, um, um, logging and um, forest protection, uh, you know, animal rights movement even. And these are... Uh, initiatives just made by the local people who recognize the importance of nature. Uh, I mean, 
whether they they they're actually right or wrong that's something else but it is making a lot of difference in changing the mindset of a lot of the people um, for the better uh, sometimes it also creates problems especially animal rights uh, organizations are increasing number of uh, feral dogs uh, uh, that, that also creates a lot of problem for uh, wild animals uh, this is one of the main problems right now i'm facing right now is to sit down with um, animal rights activists and explain to them that it's a problem to increase dogs numbers especially in areas close to nature and the forest areas uh, because of a lot of predation and other um, conflicts that they cause uh, the wild animals and hannah I'm, i'm really curious about one thing what is it like to be um, a woman conservationist in kurdistan or in iraq I think everyone will be um, curious to hear your answer to this. Yeah, well, uh, worldwide, wildlife conservation and protection, uh, especially of a large predator uh, like the leopard, is not an easy task to anyone, uh, man or woman. And uh, this job requires uh, spending months in the field, uh, especially for a woman, uh, most of the time. Uh, it's just me with uh, a number of men uh, going to remote villages and talking to mostly men as well in those villages and camping and driving through areas that are not safe for anybody. So um, I would say I would say that this is a very very difficult job for anyone. But there are more difficulties uh, in our region. Uh, for a lot of the um, reasons that I explained earlier, uh, compared to European and uh, you know American or uh, other progress countries, as compared to our country, uh, but the difficulties is uh, especially uh, in a patriarchal society like Iraq, uh, whether you're told, um, you know. Um, you're reminded all the time to of your limitations, to know your limitations, and uh, you know th- those l- limits that are set before you as a woman. Um, you're reminded that uh, nature conservation is uh, a difficult task for a woman. Uh, you know the figure of a woman, the the strength of a woman. Uh, especially a woman in this society is not easy for you. You're expected to get married uh, and have children. And once you, you reach a certain age, people start questioning why you're not getting married and it's too late for you to have kids and these things. Um, but I've been lucky to have uh, you know parents uh, that supported me and raised me to never give in to those limitations that our society put for women. And how do you answer to people when they tell you like, oh, this is not a, a job for a lady or, oh, why aren't you getting married? This You should be doing something else. <laughs> What do you tell to these people? Uh, well, I uh, that ends up in a very deep, uh, heated conversation about women, men, equalities and the fact that I find no differences between myself and my male colleagues. And uh, I have proven to my male colleagues that at times, uh, many times, I can be uh, more strong, more powerful, more capable of all of them together and not just one of them. So, uh, and and I think throughout the years, um, you know, the, the result of my work has been very fruitful and has been 
seen and recognized by those people who were telling me these things. So I think I used that as a proof to show them that they were wrong and uh, I was right. Um, but um, there's always somebody to tell you and remind you of these things. But I think uh, especially staying strong and staying, unfortunately, so uh, less feminine uh, and show more strength to people uh, could be enough reasons to prove to people that you're capable as a woman. And are there uh, more women, um, not only in uh, conservation, but in other areas who, who show to men uh, that they can also, you know, uh, have a career and do things that, you know, not, not only have a family, but also do their hobbies or pursue projects or mm. do a career in Kurdistan? I'm sure there are a lot of a lot of successful independent women in our society who are still uh, struggling to prove to this patriarchal society that they're equal to men, they're capable, they have done a lot of great things in their profession. Uh, and... Um, I know of a, a few examples of those as well, uh, but in the field of conservation, I don't know any women who have actually done any work in Iraq, uh, or at least I don't know any to date. Well, uh, when I choose my interviewees, um, I, I noticed that most of them are men and I don't do it intentionally. It just somehow happens. I, maybe there are really more men in conservation, but now I try to put more focus uh, on interviewing women. And I think that you find them, but it's it's just harder than to find men. Um, okay. Maybe because it's really tough work, you know, as you said, you spend a lot of time um in the field and it's physically demanding, right? True, yeah. Uh, it's not just about field work, but also computer work and writing and, um, you know, raising uh, funds, grant writing, following up and everything. So it's both, it's not just, you know, conservationists are um, always seen out in nature, having fun, but it's actually a, a big part of our time is spent in front of a computer doing grant writing, seeking funds, um, responding to uh, funds that we already received, you know, sending reports, technical reports and these things. So uh, it's no easy task at all. And in, um, for me personally, I have put a lot of my, uh, you know, uh, expected plans in life uh, aside to be able to do my job properly. Because if I had gotten married, or had kids, I don't think I would be able to do half of what I have been able to accomplish as a single woman. Okay, and uh, would you like to get married or have kids? Uh, I think it, I think it's a, a natural instinct of every woman and man to get married. I think in the back of my mind, I always have that, um, you know, marriage plan but for now I don't have any plans of uh, getting married because I think in my profession the more work you do uh, the more uh, is expected of you and there's um, always more tasks coming uh, for you so it's it's never easy to say okay I'm gonna uh, complete my task for now and then make some time for um, you know getting married and settling down because there's 
never a time for that unless, you know, you have to just, when you feel it's too late and you need to settle down, maybe then you have to sacrifice one for the other uh, somehow. And what's your biggest goal um, in life or in uh, leopard conservation? My biggest goal is to establish a network of protected areas in Kurdistan region, be it for the Persian leopard or for other animals. Okay, so you, you don't only want to stop with Karadakh, but you want to create more of them? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we cannot st- stop with Karadakh because without a network of protected areas and, and identifying um, safe connective habitats, Uh, then it's not easy to just um, uh, focus on Qardagh, which is just a small um, land for the for ensuring the survival of the Persian leopard. And we need to include all of Kurdistan region to be able to ensure their viability of the population. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the last question, um, I wonder how your work has been uh, impacted by uh, all the conflicts um, that uh, have been happening in uh, Iran, uh, sorry, Iraq uh, for many years. Yeah. For example, um, has your work been impacted by um, by the war with the ISIS or uh, any terrorist uh, attacks or Anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Iraq um, has been involved in wars and conflict for as long as history goes, um, either with its neighboring countries or uh, other countries or civil war inside its own country. And so uh, locals had other plans for their future. You know, uh, you had a better future as a doctor or engineer than a, a biologist. And even inside Iraq, a biologist does not... Uh, see its future as a conservation uh, or nature conservationist. Actually, n- nature conservation is a very, very new uh, field that a lot of people don't even uh, know about in the country. So even biologists uh, use a profession of, uh, you know, uh, working at a medical lab. Um, so uh, locals didn't uh, start any nature exploration uh, or to conduct research on biodiversity. And only a small number of foreigners who visited the country a long time ago in the 50s and 60s or in the 20s, such as uh, British explorers who came with the military, um, you know, they came to Iraq with the military and stayed here for a while. They were able to uh, publish, you know, incomplete anecdotal information on biodiversity and wildlife, most of which relied on stories and Uh, unconfirmed local reports, uh, or, for example, in terms of animals or the leopard dead skins of animals that were brought to sheikhs and tribesmen as gifts. Uh, so, in Iraq, there there are periodical stability, and then there, uh, which is brief, it lasts very briefly, and then there is a boom, a long time of war and instability and chaos. So. Uh, m- That was, luckily, we had that short uh, period of stability between 2003 with the fall of Saddam Hussein uh, until 2014. Uh, and this is not for all of Iraq, because actually with the fall of Saddam Hussein, chaos started in all of Iraq except in Kurdistan region. And the Kurdistan region remained uh, relatively very stable uh, 
So uh, Nietzsche Iraq was able to establish itself uh, first in the south in 2004, uh, but then uh, with, uh, with the security problems uh, after the fall of Saddam Hussein, they moved the office to Sleimani, to Kurdistan region. And from then on, we were able to uh, begin actual um, um, surveys on biodiversity for Iraq. Um, and we were able to, you know, document numerous uh, species, rediscover species, uh, both fauna and flora, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, trained Iraqis to become wildlife field technicians and uh, publish papers and books and, uh, you know, um, published the information in uh, internationally. We were able to establish the first national park for Iraq, the Mesopotamian National Park. We began collaborative projects between in international NGOs with Iranians, with uh, Europeans, Americans, uh, you know, until, uh, you know, in 2014, everything started clashing down again with uh, ISIS. Uh, when ISIS came, um, things went downhill once more. You know, then the the um, the forest police uh, who were protecting the forest, as I mentioned, they were taken to fight against ISIS as well, uh, because did, there just wasn't enough military to fight against ISIS. Um, and so the forest was neglected completely. There were more hunting and more forest logging uh, within that time when um, the fight against ISIS was uh, going on. And then oil price um, crashed and Iraq, 80% of Iraq revenues depend on oil. And when the oil price crashes down, then the whole country crashes down with it. Uh, and the government doesn't have any other plans beside uh, selling oil. Uh, so the government, the Kurdish government especially, got caught up in uh, huge financial debts. Uh, most of our staff at Nature Iraq had already moved on to start, uh, you know, find uh, better careers. Um, you know, to secure a future for their families. Uh, so Nature Iraq became project-based, meaning uh, staff could only get salaries if we were uh, able to write grants and secure funding. So imagine working with a very small staff with no salary and working hard to write grants for projects. But then, uh, you know, uh, the international NGOs were also hit by COVID-19 and funding started dwindling again. So this is what we're dealing with right now. Wow, <laughs> it's unbelievable. I don't have anything to say. It's it's so tough, really. Yeah. The, these are all the uh, challenges that you're facing at your work. Yeah, so the, the well, beside that, there there is a lot of other challenges in the country, especially when I mentioned the war, the Iran-Iraq war, the, as a result of the war, there were millions, if not billions of landmines uh, uh, that were left along the border. Um, a lot of the our cities in the Kurdistan region along the border also heavily mined. A lot of the study areas where I work is heavily mined. So we rely completely on uh, local guys to tell us where to go and where not to go. And most of the time we're very restricted uh, to only staying on one path 
that you know, you know, people can walk through it and you can't go left or right. Otherwise, you know, there's a 100% chance of landmines explosion. Um, and that restricts our work uh, in the field because, you know, for, to explore, you need to walk. And if you can't walk easily and safely, then uh, there's a lot of information you can't get, uh, you know. So uh, beside that, there is um, always episodic, you know, violence and the government is completely disorganized. There is no um, um, plan for... Uh, how to pay um, employee salaries. So how can you uh, expect the government to even think about nature conservation and to um, make biodiversity conservation and environmental issues their priority? There is, um, you know, minimal funding, of course. That's one of the major issues. The only... Uh, we have collaboration with the Kurdish government, uh, but the the first thing they tell me when I go to them uh, for war, for projects is that as long as you don't ask us for money, we can help you. And that's their condition that we don't uh, put the government to, um, you know, um, financial, um, under financial issues or anything. We don't expect them to pay for anything. Uh, and uh, the, uh, other, another issue is the public, who is largely unaware of environmental issues and nature conservation importance and the consequences of biodiversity loss. So we come back to what you said in the beginning, you have to be incredibly passionate about what you do to, you know, overcome all these obstacles and challenges. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, overcoming is, I can't pretend that we've overcome most or even any of these issues, uh, these problems will always be present in the field of nature conservation everywhere uh, in, the, in the world, uh, not just in Kurdistan or Iraq. Uh, others have more, others have fewer. Uh, uh, however, our issues are um, most definitely threefold, maybe even more, because the government needs a long-term solution to environmental problems and it has not prioritized nature conservation. So. Uh, no programs are being implemented in that regard. Kurdistan is also sandwiched between three countries uh, that are constantly dealing with civil unrest. As a result, you know, foreign interest in financing or developing envi environmental and nature conservation problems in the country uh, is very um, scarce. Uh, the government is, all, um, you know, perpetually in debt and employees, uh, again, as I said, are paid only twice a year with a 20% salary cut. Uh, as a result, people, you know, focus, turn to survival and making ends meet with no concern for the environment. And the public is still unaware of the differences between environmental issues and biodiversity and wildlife protection issues as well. So they think when you talk to them about conservation and nature protection, you talk about, they, they start talking to you about dust storms and uh, landfill issues and pollution in, uh, in the air and pollution in waters and these things. They don't, um, thing that you're actually um, dedicating your time on, um, you know, fauna and flora uh, conservation, biodiversity protection. So 
And uh, in terms of, you know, uh, funding, we rely on international funds, as I said. Um, and we also rely on international collaborations and advice and support. And in the case of uh, our Iranian colleagues, when they're gone, they're gone. So all of your collaboration is also gone with them. So you need to start um, establishing other collaborations for your projects. Um, you know, uh, these are all uh, problems that, you know, you may not ever overcome. Um, I personally to deal with, uh, especially, you know, the problems of patriarchy and these things, uh, you know, you can't actually overcome them. You just have to deal with it by staying strong and engaging in conversations about equality and uh, proving to men, as I said, that I can do as much, if not more than them. So, uh, you know, you have an idea how we try to overcome some of these issues. Well, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for you and for your project, and I hope that things get slowly better, really. Uh, Thank you so much. Wow, you, you're a very strong woman to, um, to work in this environment and to do all that you do and still say, uh, stay motivated and positive. Thank you. Uh, I think I've been also very lucky, you know, as I said, because my family has been very supportive of me. So I have never been scared or careful about, you know, my reputation as a woman working in the nature conservation or a woman camping out with men and these things that women tend to be labeled um, as in our society. You know, when a woman is successful in our society, the first question uh, they ask, and this is, uh, there's a, a Kurdish singer, uh, she's also human, a human rights and women rights activist as well. And this is what she said, that when um, a man in our society uh, has a successful studio uh, and making a lot of money, they don't ask him why. But when a woman has a, a, a studio and is very successful and making albums, is where who did she sleep with or where did she get it from? And uh, th th this is what we need to change that, you know, uh, when you're successful, people start labeling you and even your own colleagues start uh, staying away from you, not happy with your success or always blaming you for something for, for their, um, what can I say, if they're not successful, then they feel that your success is being a shadow for their success. And uh, these are still issues that we're facing. I personally face in my um, you know, in my career and with my colleagues, so... Even with your colleagues? Of course, absolutely. Because I thought that they, okay, I thought that they know you for so many years that, you know, they should be... True, you would think, you would think that knowing somebody and working with them so closely for at least 12 years, you know them, but eventually then uh, somehow they come out of their, uh, you know, their, their real faces show uh, somehow and... Yeah, see, unfortunately, these are very unfortunate. And I don't like to talk about them that much uh, because I personally feel like for the sake of, for the success of the projects, you should never create um, issues based on personal, but you have to stay professional for the sake of the projects. And uh, But it, but but at, at times things happen that you can't just forgive somebody for anymore. 
And um, that also creates a lot of problem because I have established a uh, long-term uh, collaboration with these colleagues for so many years. Uh, you've done so much for them. They've helped you on projects as well. They're aware of a lot of the projects. And once you stop the, the collaboration and the work with them, then everything stops as well. And you have to restart establishing other connections with other volunteers and other, you know, recruiting other uh, um conservationists as I am doing right now. So I am I feel like I'm back to scratch one in terms of recruiting stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, when you were speaking about um, successful women and how hard for men it is to take it, I think um, that's the same in Europe or in the US, of course, less than uh, in Iraq. But but still, you know, it's I think that Most people still think that uh, women's uh, primary role is uh, bringing up children, staying with them at home, and yeah, doing career. But um, but if there is any, uh, if the child is sick and so on, it's always the woman taking care of the kids. So, and but this is fine. I mean, I, I get this. But when a woman is successful, it's. It hurts, you know, when when people start being envious or accusing her that she's not doing it um, in a correct way, but that, she, you know, like she's doing it in a bad way or, or so, as you said, like yeah. sleeping with someone, which which yeah. isn't which isn't true at all. It's just envy, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's because if I can't do it, how can she do it? And especially when. Uh, you're a woman in this society doing such a difficult work like nature conservation and then you succeed and then they they start asking i started before her why not me why her um and these things start sparkling this um jealousy probably or ego perhaps as because i was manager of this colleague for example as a man he refused to take um you know, managerial decisions from me or to accept it. And this is how he, the, the problem started is because I questioned him and asked him why why you're not doing your job properly, why you're leaving work, but only come back for salary, for example. Uh, they expected me as a colleague or as a friend to just close my eyes and not take actions against them. But once I did, uh, they f- got intimidated by it and they were like, okay, then, uh, you know, um, I'm not going to work with you if it goes this way, mm-hmm. which is the right way. But for them, it's not. <laughs> um, Hannah, my last question is, um, can you say one simple thing that anyone can do to help protect nature? Yeah, uh, one thing that I can tell, especially my people, the Kurdish people, is to learn about the effects and uh, the actions uh, and the the consequences of uh, nature depletion and biodiversity loss. They be mindful of their actions, you know, whether it's opening the tap, uh, you know, reducing the amount of plastic while food shopping or purchasing new shoes and clothes or participating in nature conservation projects, uh, do so by, whether by helping people who are doing the, the project uh, and directly support them or uh, participate in nature protection and be a part of a joint 
us, let's increase our circle of conservationists, especially women. I encourage them to step up to do nature conservation. Uh, but, but most importantly, to do so with passion and love and care uh, and, and to actually believe in it, not because you want to uh, brag about it. So it's important to stay humble. So stay humble. Okay, that's very beautiful. Uh, I would like to thank you very much for the interview. It's uh, You're doing amazing work and um, it's so important. Um, even though the leopards can't thank you because they don't speak one language, I'm sure they're very grateful for your work, what you're doing for them. Thank you so much, Veronica. Thanks for the podcast, for having me and for all your uh, great questions. It's a pleasure to talk to people like you. Yeah, thank you so much. For more information about Hannah's work, visit the Facebook page Persian Leopard Conservation in Kurdistan, Iraq, or follow Hannah on Twitter. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope you liked this episode. And if you did, please subscribe to get notified when new episodes are live. And also give a rating. It really helps me get in front of uh, more people who like conservation. See you next time.